You're listening to Beyond Numbers, a podcast by Zero for accountants and bookkeepers. In this series, you'll hear from leaders within some of the accounting industry's pace-setting firms who will share news, views, and creative solutions so you can step away with some inspiration or new ideas to take back to your own business. Dr. Anne-Maria Maffedon is a prodigy in every sense of the word. At age 11, she was the youngest girl ever to pass A-level computing and was just 20 years old when she received her master's degree in mathematics and computer science from the University of Oxford. She's had some impressive roles throughout her career in finance and tech and is now the founder and CEO of STEMETS, an organisation dedicated to inspiring and promoting the next generation of young women into STEM sectors, as well as a trustee at the Institute for the Future of Work. We were really pleased to have Anne-Marie speak at our first Zero Talks event in London on the 15th of March, where she talked about the importance of diversity and inclusion in the tech sector and beyond, how artificial intelligence will impact the future of work and the intersection between corporate social responsibility and workplace culture. Here's what Kayleigh Graham from Tellaroo had to say at the event about Anne-Marie's talk. I feel significantly less smarter than I did when I arrived. (laughs) But no, she is absolutely brilliant. And I think the messaging that she put out around just challenging yourself, right? Challenging yourself to think differently, but also to think about the quality of information that we're putting into AI and the, the kind of decisions that we're asking it to make, right? Because it's one of the things I talk about quite a lot is the unconscious bias side of things. And actually, if all we're doing is feeding that into these decision making tools, we, we are definitely at risk of just exacerbating that problem. I'm so with you there, Kaylee. Thank you so much. And now, without further ado, here's Dr. Anne Maria Maffedon in our next episode of Beyond Numbers. Anne Marie, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm feeling a little starstruck, actually. You've had an incredibly impressive education journey and career so far, in particular with your work as founder of STEMETS. So why don't you start by telling us a bit about your background and where you're at now with your work? Sure. So I was one of this kind of wunderkind, I guess you could say, did lots of science, well, not even science, maths and tech exams very early, had my uh, GCSEs in primary school, so I had maths and ICT by the time I left, then A-level aged 11, and then had my degree master's degree in maths and computer science from Oxford by the time I was 20. So for me, maths and the tech was always something that was a common theme, was always my happy place, was always where um, I resided um, and where I felt comfortable. Um, And so ended up working in maths and tech, you know, (laughs) at a big organization in a technology department, um, working on various things because, you know, there's there's quite a huge intersection. There's a lot that goes on between uh, maths and tech. And about 10 years ago, so we're just celebrating our 10 years, our 10th birthday, I created STEMETS um, as a response to realizing uh, that I was a woman in tech, which is something I didn't know until you know, towards the end of 2012. Um, but also that we had at that point almost a shrinking population. I was in a shrinking minority of women in tech. And what I then realized was the wider kind of STEM field, which now at STEMETS, which is the organization, you know, we look across the STEAM field, which is the science, technology, engineering, arts, and maths. And uh, it, it was a response to you know, the fact that technology is, is ubiquitous, it's everywhere. So much of what goes on in society is driven by STEM innovation, STEM research, the outputs of STEM companies. Um, and we just didn't have the proportional representation that we needed to have. 
You know, given the, the split that we have across society, you know, and the use of that technology across society, not having those folks, maybe not even, even in the room, but just considered as part of those processes, um, has ended up creating more problems than we've solved with technology. Amazing. And we're recording this episode on International Women's Day, where the theme is Embrace Equity. But this is an area that you focus on day in, day out. So what does embracing equity mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny. I, I, that was literally the message I sent to the team this morning. I was like, yeah, every day is International Women's Day for us. And it's nice to have the world uh, joining us uh, for for at least one day. Um, I think it's an interesting one as well, because there's, there's almost kind of two themes that we've got this year. There's the embrace equity one that folks are taking on, but there's also the UN women's one, which is digital innovation and technology for gender equality. Um, and equity is something that is super important. And we've centered our practice as an organization for, for quite a while now, actually equity is about, you know, equality is about people having the same, whereas equity is really realizing that in reality, people have, there are differences between people. There are differences in the experiences that they've had. There are differences in the resources that they have. Um, and recognizing that as part of this solution uh, for heading towards fairness. And so that's the that's the definition of equity. And so embracing equity means embracing that difference, embracing the fact that we ha might have to do different things for different folks, and that actually that's okay because not everybody is coming from the same place. Not everyone's starting from the same spot. Not everyone has the same resources or has had the same opportunities up until this point. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what it means. But digital, the, the kind of the UN theme for us, again, is literally what we live every day. Innovation and technology for gender equality. This is trying to solve that problem um, of gender inequality using technology, technical skills and technological resources. Beautiful. Cool. And you've recently published a book, She's in Control. So tell us a bit about that. What's that all about? I have indeed. I've, I've got a copy here as well for visual reference. Um, so yeah, so She's in Control, subtitle, How Women Can Take Back Tech, um, is a, it's a really practical guidebook. It's about the fact that, you know, if you're living in a world, at th this world at this point where technology is taking over so much and is embedded in so much of what we do and the way we live and the way that we work and the way that we play that you know building up and uh, literacy in technology some sort of digital literacy allows you to have more agency and more controls the ctrl from your keyboard um over what's going on in your life and so the book is aimed at women primarily aimed at women who are older than the stemets that we work with so we work with young women and non-binary folks aged five up to 25, whereas the book is kind of beyond that. So if someone who's already perhaps in work is definitely an adult is, you know, already built up and is maybe no longer having formative experiences. And it's about getting started on that journey. Um, and everyone's journey will be different. Everyone's literacy journey is, is different. You know, the, the, the perspectives that you have, the experiences that you have, the knowledge that you have, you know, means that you might end up in a different place from the next person, but it's practical tips, guidance, on how to get there, how to get started, how to explore that curiosity, how to marry up with what you already know, as well as lots of stories. So there's 13 different people, at minimum, <laughs> that I talked to across the book. I've had one journey into tech. They've all had very different journeys into tech. And so it's actually getting to kind of learn from that history as it as it was as to, you know, the different options that you have, the different ways that you might be able to relate to tech. And the aim isn't that everyone ends up in technology 
but is that everyone has that appreciation and we can get to a point where it's not something that we are afraid of or gate kept from um, to the level that we have today, but also in a way that we can, you know, embrace it. And like I said, take back agency control in our own lives over many things because technology is simply a tool for problem solving. And we have a lot of problems, a lot of problems in society or a lot of problems as women too. Yeah, absolutely. So how's the UK doing in this space then in terms of, you know, the role of women and underrepresented groups in, in STEM sectors, do you think? So it's not doing fantastically, but then very few countries are doing completely well. No one's quite at a GCSE 9 or at a, you know, grade A. Um, you know, we're, we're, it, 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 you know, depending on whether you count the core STEM or technology itself, it's anywhere between kind of 26 to 30% at the moment. 10 years ago, actually, when I started STEMETS, 13% of folks in uh, the STEM industry were women, and there's about 17 that were in technology. So we're heading in the right direction. 30% is seen as that tipping point, but we're not quite at 30%. Um, but it's something that we still are needing to work on. And whether that's you know, the choices that young women are making in terms of subjects or just careers that they want to go into, whether that's in the retention that we have of women when they then enter the technical workforce, whether that's in promotion and the amount of women that we're seeing in leadership, you know, all of it is could do better, whether it's things like the gender pay gap and what that looks like across technical and STEM organisations, whether that's the norms that we have baked into our policies and what we value in technical organisations versus what we um, we know we value, but we don't represent in any of the processes that we use for recognition. You know, there's there's so much, whether it's the unpaid labour that women are doing outside of work anyway, and the way that workplaces aren't necessarily encouraging, facilitating or normalising men and other genders to get involved in that unpaid labour. Like there's actually quite a lot that is still yet to be done. Um, and, you know, if I'm going to be cynical slash realistic, depending on the day of the week that you're asking me, I'd say that in 10 years, the progress that we've made, that I've seen, at least from starting STEMETS and getting it to you know, 60,000 young people 10 years later, is that when we started, when I started, there were some folks who were having to convince that this is a problem. There were some folks who were having to convince that this was something that girls really wanted to do and engage with. And now we've kind of moved from that denial to at least lip service. And I think that's that's kind of where I'd say that would be my kind of report card, I could say, for the UK, UK tech and STEM industry 10 yeah. years, 10 years on. It's really interesting to hear your perspective on that. So what kind of things then can we all do now to cultivate future tech leaders? So there's lots that folks can do. I mean, I could selfishly say, you know, partner up. We're our 10th anniversary. We are a charity, 1188774. So get donating, get volunteering, get involved in the programs that we're running, the outreach and sharing that with the young people that you know and that you um, have, you're able to influence, that you'll serve as an influencer for, whether that's as a as an uncle or as an aunt or as a grandma or, you know, as just a family friend. I think the other thing that we can do is ensure that we know these stories and that we are, you know, editing our own social norms. Like this idea that, you know, technology is, is not something for women when the internet that we're on all the time, mostly when we're on Wi-Fi and the Bluetooth that we use to listen to music continuously, we only have because of a woman or the blue dot that we're going to use to all get to the next zero conference. We only have because of the mathematics of a woman called Gladys West or Bulletproof. You know, that there's so many things that actually when you look around you, you see the tech of, of women, the engineering of women, 
all around you. And so having that as part of your perception where you're not having to kind of struggle or go for a dead person, you know, when anyone asks you, you know, they name a woman in technology. Um, you know, and uh, we, for our 10th anniversary, our 10th birthday, actually, we walked across the Waterloo Bridge in London, which is, you know, known as the Ladies Bridge. Not many people know women rebuilt that during during the war. Like that, that's that's something that happened that we, you know, it's still there. The buses and the pedestrians and everyone is still going over Waterloo Bridge safely, you know, thanks to those women. So I think there's something of making sure that you're educated, you're hearing those stories and you're holding on to those stories. But I think the other thing is also the allyship that can be done. And, you know, this these aren't things solely for women to do. This is for everyone, which is how are you supporting? How are you ensuring that the women around you in technical positions are being paid well? How are you ensuring that you're not uh, assuming that they organize the meetings and they make the teas and take the minutes, but how are you listening to the value that they can bring to technical conversations? How are you valuing the different perspectives that they might bring, the different um, expertise that they have in the same way that you might do their their non-female counterparts. And I think that's something for everyone to do. How are we looking at our policies that we have in our workplaces and taking account for caring responsibilities that women tend to have and ensuring that men that men can also step into caring responsibilities that are often borne by others. And so I think there's lots for folks to do. Everyone has a sphere of influence. Um, and I talk about this actually in the book, you know, being able to hold, hold folks and systems accountable, but also recognize our own privileges. Um, and I think that's the other thing to be aware of, right? We at STEMETS take an intersectional approach. We know that there are girls and young women and young non-binary people that we work with, but some of them are black, some of them have disabilities, some of them are neurodiverse. And so how are you then also accounting for the intersections and ensuring that then that's reflected in your practice, that's reflected in the decisions that you make, that's reflected in the assumptions that you bake into um, your decisions, to your technology, that's reflected in the prioritization right of the way that you do work so there's lots of opportunities for folks to kind of um to kind of uh, edit edit the norm and edit the system the final one i'll say is embracing that difference and i talk to folks quite a lot about you know how do you do this socially how do you do this with the media that you consume and how do you do this in the way that you spend in your supply chain you know how are you ensuring that actually you're also empowering different types of people um, in the way that you you live your life really so yeah lot, lots there but yeah take a look at the book there's a 13 chapters and there's a getting started on every single chapter so uh, lots of homework for folks <laughs> brilliant brilliant you've talked a bit about the nfl dan rooney rule um can you explain that a bit to our listeners and how it can help diversify a company at all levels yeah sure and i'll, I'll shout out the tech talent charter on this as well because there's a there's a full playbook that we have of um, different techniques and tools that folks have. So the NFL Dan Rooney rule came from a guy called Dan Rooney, who used to work at the NFL, uh, which is the National, National Football League in the US. And what they saw was that they have players that play football and a lot, they also have coaches. And many coaches are ex-players and many head coaches are ex-coaches. But what they spotted across the league, or what Dan in particular spotted across the league, was that where you had a diversity of players of different ethnicities and backgrounds, and therefore a diversity of coaches of different um, ethnicities and backgrounds, that diversity was not reflected in head coaches. And this is when we talk about promotion, when we talk about leadership, you know, all of these things, you have to be vigilant and making sure that, you know, that, that pipeline is, is making its way through and is being valued at all stages. Um, and so Dan spotted this and kind of um, set up one uh, one term, one semester, one season, even was the word, uh, and said, kind of, okay, the Rooney rule is going to be you can't close your recruiting round for head coaches. If you're hiring a head coach, you can't close your recruiting round for head coaches if you haven't 
interviewed at least one coach of colour. And that was it. That was what we said. It wasn't even as strong as a quota or any of the other things that, that I also advocate for. And what they saw was magically across the NFL that season, the diversity of coaches dramatically improved. Um, and it's something that the FA in the UK is now employed and has taken on. But it's also something that organisations signed up to the Tech Talent Charter, of which I think there are 400, 300, something like that, don't quote me, across the UK. It's one of those practices as well that folks can put in to ensure that actually they are doing what they need to do when it comes to making decisions on promotion, on hiring. Um, where you are making a selection process and you want that to be fair and, and at least make sure that you've got diversity and inclusion as part of that. That's a really great piece of advice. Um, if we're to think about AI and the future of work now and accountancy, um, the explosion of cloud accounting tools and automation in the industry over the last decade or so has often sparked a lot of conversation about the role of accountants. And we kind of believe at Zero that there's real opportunity for accountants and bookkeepers actually to lean into technology, you know, use it to save themselves and their clients' time and free themselves up for the kind of work that technology can't do. Um, and technology in particular is working its way across a lot of sectors, and accountancy is no exception. But with AI tools like chat GPT, is there any reason for people to be concerned? Like, are the robots coming to take our jobs? I mean, let, let's see, right? I, I'm yet to see the day that robot kind of taps someone on the shoulder and tells them to hop it. I think it's an interesting one to kind of consider and we get those headlines periodically, right? I, re I remember one time there was something about robots taking over the London Tube network as drivers and there was huge outroar and I thought, well, DLR is already you know, kind of automated. There's no drivers on the DLR, so why are we so alarmed at that? And I think, I think there is something, there's often kind of that fear of change that folks have, fear of the unknown. I think that we have to reflect, and I talk about this in the book actually, you know, there was a time when people, um, people had the job to pick up bowling pins in the bowling alley. Like that was someone's job. They'd wake up in the morning, brush their teeth, they'd get dressed, get ready, head out, and their job would be to put pins back up at the bowling alley. And it's, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I tell kids this, they don't believe me. I say to adults, they, you know, there's always a smirk or a smile, and it's like, yeah, that really, I've, I've not yet met someone that remembers that time. <laughs> but it's definitely a thing where, you know, there are some roles that will be edited. There are some things that will be changed. But actually, you've got to think, you know, that person that would have been putting up the bowling pins then, what are they doing today? And I think there's there's an opportunity. We have to look at the opportunity for what will we do instead or what what is the higher level kind of human capability, human thinking, human cognitive, you know, uh, involvement that we can have on things if we are able to get the repetitive um, and certain things done by robots. I think the converse and the, the other side to that, though, is to consider that, you know, there are a lot of things that we don't understand. So picking up a bowling pin, I think, is something we fundamentally understand the physics of that and what that means as a as a task to get done. However, something like hiring, many folks still struggle with, right? And so doing that analog as human beings, we struggle with doing, let alone then training an algorithm to be able to do that at scale in a way that doesn't multiply up our mistakes. And so I think it is important to have, you know, uh, uh, an eye, you know, I'm, I'm a trustee at the Institute for the Future of Work and we have our um, impact assessment tools and um, impact accountability that we're working on or in fact, algorithmic accountability that um, act that we're working on, where actually, you know, there are sometimes there are some tools, there are some decisions that should that are too complex for us as humans to do, let alone getting an algorithm to do it. And I think it is about deciphering where does that line, where is that line, what's the impact of being on either side of that line, doing the research, doing the work, and being iterative, right? As the technology gets more 
um, advanced and, and supposedly matures, then there may be the opportunity to, to broaden scope or change scope. But it's on all of us to ensure that we are constantly iterating, constantly auditing, and then acting on the results of those audits as we roll out technology and use it in different use cases and different spaces. So I wouldn't yet be fully worried of a robot tapping me on the shoulder or marrying my grandchild or whatever we have in the headlines. But I think it is something to be aware of. OK, cool. There are elements of what you do that a robot could definitely do. And so are you able to build that robot and then focus on other things, focus on higher value things, focus on that connection, on that collaboration, on that creativity that the moment the robots aren't quite, um, don't quite fully have down yet. How do you see technologists contributing to a sector like accounting in the future? I think there's lots of space. I mean, and you've already seen it. I think accounting is one, like you said, over the last 10 years, there's been so much transformation. And I think the exciting thing about accounting is so much of it is about numbers and is not about human beings. <laughs> and so actually the scope for automation that you have, the scope for how much is actually digitalized within the finance industry and across retail and you know all the things that you might reflect in, you know, in a tool like Zero, there's so much scope there for automation and for technology that's already been enabled that actually, you know, I, I feel like, you know, it's it's even more ripe for whatever happens next. I mean, there's discussions I've had with folks on, you know, even something like tax and what role does tax play in society? And if we do have these digital tools, if we do have that automation and we've, and we've got it digitalized and a lot more technology, what capacity do we have to do things more dynamically to help folks in our society, to redistribute resources in a way that is objectively fair, but also traceable, trackable, measurable, and that we can then iterate on. You know, something like that I think would be fantastic. Tax law is complicated anyway, as it is, but you know, what if we were able to have that kind of idea of dynamic tax that then allows us to, you know, help people out at their times of need and then flip the balance back. And there's quite a lot that there's probably scope for on all the different levers that we end up um, pulling as a society based on the work of accountants and bookkeepers. And I think that would be, for me, that's what I would find the most exciting is, you know, how are we able to, to leverage that to help folks and to support folks? Because as we know, there's a lot of money in a lot of different places that ends up being untapped or ends up being held where, you know, there are simultaneously some really big problems that just a little bit of money would go a long way. And so I think that's one of the things. I think the other one might be, and we at Stemets have been part of the, were part of last year's um, so the 2022 four-day um, work week trial but i think there is also capacity for how do you work differently and if you are able to automate in such a big way without there being too much impact on human beings and on society then what does that mean for what it might be like to work as an accountant for if it's not work-life balance it's maybe you know the way that people grow or the way that people are able to give, be given space to get creative in other ways and i think there's definitely a lot of scope within accountancy to experiment with that where you know, you might not be able to do that in other spaces. So yeah, lot, lots on the horizon. I think it's it's to get creative, it's to work with technologists and with others. And I think, you know, there is something to look at that idea of legacy. What could the legacy of accountants be? And get thinking with, yeah, what, what is the change that you'd like to see and what's the change that you'd be able to see through the books? Yeah, and like what ways do you think employees today can sort of future-proof themselves? And I guess I, I say this not just for accountancy, like, should we all be learning new skills? Should we all be learning how to how to code now and make sure we're sort of um, part of this change? Why not? <laughs> and you've learned the accountancy, how hard can the coding be? Um, why not? I mean, future proofing, 
there's a couple of things and I'll talk, I spoke about it or talk about it on stage at, at, at um, Zero Talks, but you know, there's a lot of thing that a lot of things that folks can do to future proof and whether that is, um, yeah, like having a growth mindset and saying, I'm, I'm just going to learn a little bit of a little bit of everything slowly over time and see how that applies and how that works, whether it's being involved in discussions. I know there's a lot of kind of accountancy tech type spaces that folks have to just hear what's going on, to explore what's going on, to be curious about what's going on. So I think that's definitely a way to future proof yourself. I think getting getting used to experimenting just even as a concept and working through different things and being like, okay, cool, I'm doing this as an experiment. Experiment means I don't know if it's gonna work or if it's not going to work. And you take a measured risk and then saying, okay, cool, we're gonna iterate now on what we learned from that experiment and being in that habit of making making excellent mistakes, right? To iterate on as time goes on is definitely one to future proof because then you don't end up standing still. You're constantly in that cycle of experimentation and learning. I think there's something about, you know, ensuring that you are talking to different people, like that diversity, this intersectionality, the equity that we've got as our theme for International Women's Day is about difference. And so I think future proofing yourself means knowing about those differences as they're appearing so you can build for them, right? And, and you can reflect society as it evolves and as it changes in the knowledge that you have and the perspective that you have and maybe even the experiments that you're doing. So, you know, I think there's there's a lot. It's learn how you learn and be open to difference around you. Yeah, nice. It kind of highlights to me the importance of learning and development in firms. Like seems like there's an opportunity here for for leaders to really carve out time for their staff to sort of learn new skills and, and think about how they're actually going to future-proof their businesses and, 100%. Um, you know, adapt for, for 10 years' time. Just to sort of wrap things up, where where can people go to learn more about you and your work, Anne-Marie? Uh, she'sincontrol.com is probably the easiest one. So she's in and then CTRL. Stemets is stemets.org. We're on most social media um, platforms as well. Um yeah, that's it, really. I mean, I mentioned a couple of other places. The Institute for Future of Work is ifow.org, and there's lots of resources there on future workplaces, tools for you know impact assessments, and and uh, there's actually a resources library there too as well. So yeah, lot, lots of lots of things. Lots of uh, go back, re-listen, <laughs> slow it down because I can talk very quickly, and then have a quick search on your favourite search engine. Amazing. Thank you so much. That's been really interesting. Happy International Women's Day. Um, happy International Women's Life forever. Um, yeah. All, all power to, to the gals, right? So, um, yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Beyond Numbers, brought to you by Zero, produced by Birdline Media. If you heard something that caught your attention, share the episode with your colleagues so they can listen too. Thanks for listening.